0: You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV.
1: Hi, welcome to Culture Determined on Blogging Heads TV. I'm your host, Ari Cohen-Wade, And my guest today is Lee Stein. Uh, Lee, could you introduce yourself?
0: Sure. Hi, I'm Lee Stein, and I am the author of four books, including the novel Self Care that just came out on June 30th.
1: So I'm holding up my. (laughs)
0: Copy.
1: <laughs> this is this is the uh, preview or you know galley copy so it looks slightly different in real life but uh this is what you can get
0: and it is a satire of the wellness industry girl boss feminism and uh, internet culture
1: uh so thanks for coming uh on the show and back on blogging so you did an episode on feminine chaos with uh cat rosenfield and phoebe malt's Bovi. Yeah, and uh, but I you had sent me a copy of the novel as well. And I thought there's enough stuff to justify a second conversation with you. But uh, we'll try not to overlap with that one. For, but for people who don't who didn't uh, listen to that episode, I guess we should recapitulate just a little bit. So you have you a brief thematic summary. Um, and so uh, how would you how would you set up what 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 the book is about?
0: Well, so the, the plot of the novel is about these two white women, Marin and Devin, who co-found a company called Ritual, which is spelled R-I-C-H-U-A-L, which is kind of like if Instagram and Goop had a baby. So on the outside of my book, it's kind of a fluffy satire of, the, of Goop and Gwyneth and all that stuff. But inside the book, I think I'm saying some deeper and darker things about the way um, we leverage our identity and our... Uh, the worst things that have ever happened to us as content as, and as currency in some of these online fights. And my experience is uh, for three years, I ran a secret, but not really secret, Facebook group of 40,000 women writers. And I organized conferences based on the Facebook group, which were wonderful. But the infighting within the Facebook group is what ultimately led me to burn out, resign, leave Facebook forever and write this novel.
1: Oh, so you're you're off Facebook entirely? Um, yes, and I would have to
0: be. I'd leave Twitter. If, I keep joking like I'd leave Twitter if I could, but I feel like Twitter is like, especially promoting a book in a pandemic. Like I just have to be on Twitter, like banging my my symbols like yeah, every day.
1: That makes sense. Um, well, uh, so I I enjoyed the book. I think you're right. Fluffy on the outside, a little darker, more cynical, more barbed on the inside. So there were some twists and turns that I didn't see coming. Uh, I won't spoil anything for people who want to read it, but um, definitely towards the end, there were some interesting uh, twists and characters doing things I didn't expect. Um, So, yes. Okay, so you have, it's written in um, first-person narration by three main characters, um, uh, Marin, Gelb, who is kind of the um, behind-the-scenes uh, person running the website, and then Devin is her last name Avery. Yep. Uh, who is sort of the front person, somewhat the, the like, face, the Gwyneth of yeah yeah of this uh, world, and she uh, really lives the self-care lifestyle, and you know is, is beautiful and uh, is doing yoga every day and silent meditation and. Um, and, and seems from the outside like, you know, an influencer, a perfect influencer, perfect life kind of person. And then you have um, the third character, uh, Khadija, right? Yep, Khadija. uh Who is the uh, editor of the site, and she's African-American. Uh, she is uh, younger than the two other women, and it is, you know, kind of figuring out how she can sort of, m- like, move up with w- within this uh, within this world, or maybe escape this world. Um, how did you? Yeah, how- she
0: has she has some ideas for how to make it an actual feminist workplace, aside from just branding it as a feminist workplace. I would say.
1: How did you decide to use, um, uh, you know, different narrative sections in the style of As I Lay Dying um, for for this book, as opposed <laughs> to like a omniscient narrator or something like that.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I'm I'm really comfortable writing in first person. I've never written anything in third person, so the first person is just what I'm comfortable doing. Um, but with the character of Khadijah, um, I thought I would, I thought the book wouldn't be good enough. It was if it was only white women. I just thought it wouldn't succeed because I, from my own experience, you know, running a feminist nonprofit, and I was kind of I had a viral essay in Gen Magazine about girl bosses. I was kind of girl boss adjacent because I wasn't making any money, but I was kind of like um going to these fancy lunches in like my TJ Maxx discount outfit um for a period of time. But just the way that um white women kind of rose to the top and they had in, in some ways tokenized women of color because they you know you needed them in the photo op. So like Marin and Devin need Khadija to appear on the website as like one of their staff members so they can show that they're good feminists. Um but they put a huge burden of work on her. Um And each of the three women, by the end of the book, I realized, like, each of the three women thinks that they have it the worst. Mm -hmm. Um, They think the other two have it better than them. And so that's kind of like a sad reflection, I think, of this kind of competition um, uh, among women, even women who claim to be feminists and who claim to support each other. I think this is just a sad state that I observed.
1: Mm -hmm. And then you also have kind of, um, you have, like, press releases and... Uh, like texts and um, Slack kind of uh, chats and stuff uh, you know uh, threaded in between the different sections Um, the the parts where you had the like community members I guess it's kind of like a Slack discussion I thought that that was one of the funniest parts and it really did, you did a very good job of replicating the strange things that happen on like a message board or a chat room or something where people who have all these different agendas are like (laughs) coming together and misunderstanding each other on purpose or by accident or, or, or something else
0: or looking for the worst possible interpretation of what someone has said.
1: Yes. Um,
0: I think one of the projects I set out for myself with this book is like to recreate what it's like to live online. Cause I spend so much time online. I've been on internet community since I was 13, I'm 35. So I feel like this is the place, this is the territory I know really well. I feel like I came of age on the internet. Um, I've all I've always put the internet in my work like 10 years ago. I did a poetry reading and someone came up to me afterwards and said like I don't know if you should put Facebook in your poetry because people won't know what that means in the future. So so
1: yeah. I'm <laughs> uh, I, I, pray, I pray they don't know what it means in the, in the future, but I I feel, I feel like they probably will.
0: And then some people say like aren't you worried you're putting all these references in the book and like people won't know what they are in the future? But I'm trying to capture like this moment. Like I'm trying to capture what it feels like to be scrolling all day until like, you know, your thumb hurts and you feel physically nauseous, which is my personal <laughs> experience online.
1: Yeah, it, no. it's 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 very of the moment. Um, and I think you, for, you know, a, book, a novel takes a long time to write. I think you said you, you started it after you left the Binders Group. Yes, yeah, so I started that? it in
0: 2017. And the book is set in February, March of 2017, because at that time, Trump had just taken office. And we were all, as you may remember, like we were all like, outraged and like shocked every single day at some new like crazy thing that he had done. And I thought like, I have no idea what's going to happen for the next four years, but I do know what happened in February and March of 2017. So I just aimed my book right at that time period. Cause it was defined and delineated.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I was, was writing it during the me too stuff, but it's not set during the fall of
1: 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I guess the the, the fourth main character is um, uh, Evan Wiley Uh, and can you talk about him and where, where that character came from? Yeah,
0: So Evan, Evan Wiley is a, uh, feminist ally. I was thinking of, I don't know if you remember this, but there's this actor, Matt McGorry. I think he was on Orange is the New Black, but he kind of branded himself as a feminist ally and he like wore the right t-shirt and he like wrote pieces for like bustle about how men can be feminist too. And I just was like so cynical about this. Um, So Evan is a character who is a former contestant on The Bachelorette who leaves the show in a huff because of the toxic masculinity (laughs) on the show. Um, And he's the main funder for Ritual, this imaginary company in my book. And that comes from the fact that um, VC funding is more likely to go to white men than anybody else. It's really hard for women to get VC funding, particularly women of color. But even for white women, it's very hard to get funding. So I thought these women need a male funder. <laughs> That's how they're going to get this thing off the ground. So he gives them funding. And in the course of the novel, some allegations of sexual misconduct come out against him. And the reader learns that he's actually been in a relationship with Devin, one of the, one of the founders of the company. Um, and that causes uh, more drama.
1: Mm-hmm. Um Okay, yeah, so I don't, yeah, I don't want to give too much away, so I'm, I'm just thinking about how much, how much plot to go away, but, um, okay, well, I'm, this is a, this would be a different direction. Um, I'm always interested in how uh, authors name their characters, Ooh. and, you know, uh, so you have Marin, you have Devin, and you have Evan, those are all pretty similar names, <laughs> um, and, and Marin is very close to Karen, which is the name that we've all come to hate uh, over the past couple months.
0: Is Marin a Karen? Great question.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, she's the closest. She's the closest to a Karen of the main characters, I guess. But what? How did you decide on these names? Is there significance behind them? Is it a coincidence that they all kind of sound, or the three of them sound similar than Khadija's is so different?
0: Yeah, I mean, Devin and Evan. I I definitely wanted to just be like a funny a funny play on just, like, generic white people names. Like, I think there's a point where, like, Khadija's boyfriend can't remember which one is Devin and which one is Evan, and Khadija has to remind him. <laughs> and then Khadija is just, like, a name that I that I loved and that I thought would be a little difficult for white readers, um, which has proved to be true, um, which I think is funny. Another thing that's been really funny is um, I've gotten a couple reviews that have said Khadija is the the least developed character in the novel. That they thought the other the white women were more developed than Kadija, and they spelled Kadija's name wrong in the reviews. And I had to ask for a correction, which I thought was funny because I thought if you're going to fault me, for like at least spell her name right. So, um, yeah, and I often my name is mispronounced. I answered all kinds of people don't my name is unfamiliar to a lot of people, so people call me Leia, Lay. Um, so just having a name that people trip over is something that I'm familiar with and that's also part of where Khadija comes
1: from yeah Uh, likewise Um, (laughs) so the okay so um, one of the uh, the yeah so I, I mentioned that there's kind of this like move like cynical some of the characters make moves that are more cynical or Machiavellian or something towards the end and then there's kind of like there's this part, you know, like, do they really believe all this stuff in the beginning? Like, do they believe the stuff about self-care? Uh, Devin, the way she thinks uh, is kind of like, she she says, like, the name brands of everything, like, the full name brand, uh, it, which is very funny. And it's also, it reminds me a little bit of, like, something from David Foster Wallace or something that, like... Oh, yeah. You know, this world where, like, the, the brands are the like the most important thing and you, you, you say the full name every single time. Um, and then, but yeah, but then there's some twists to the end. We'll, we'll not reveal those twists, but how did you, you know, like, are these, did you envision these people as kind of like true believers um, who embraced it? Or are they kind of cynical actors who saw this, this thing they could do? Do they believe in self-care? Is this ambiguous? <laughs> it has no answer. Well, anything.
0: De- yeah. Devin and Marin are, I see them as like extremes on a spectrum. So Devin is so into wellness that she's sick, like she has an eating disorder. She's so obsessed with clean eating and with exercise that it's it's pathological. Um, and I think I did an event with like a yoga teacher. And I think a lot of the yoga audience recognizes this character of Devin. Um, you know, the, the woman who's always going on a fast. Why is she going on a fast so frequently? Um, Marin, I think Marin identifies as a feminist. I think Marin would say she truly is an intersectional feminist. So she's kind of a caricature of kind of this far left extremism where you can hurt other people as long as you're doing it in the name of social justice. So with all the plot twists that happened at the end of the book, I was thinking, how far can I, how far will Marin go in the name of doing what's right? Um, She believes that she's doing the right thing Mm -hmm. at the end of the book. Um, She's not right about that. And the right,
1: the right thing happens to align with her like interests at at that moment. Um, Yes.
0: Which is to uh, generate so much revenue for her company that she can sell it for millions of dollars and make an exit. So I think my book is also about the way um, the, the algorithm incentivizes outrageous content. So, you know, Twitter, Facebook, none of these are really free. We're giving them our feelings <laughs> and our thoughts and our opinions um, so that they can get clicks for these and sell advertising against our outrage. Mm hmm.
1: Yeah, and it makes me think of something that Glenn Lowry has said on this website a couple times that, like, you know, these are power moves. The way people are behaving in the, like, social justice warrior space are power moves. They don't know. People don't really believe this shit. They're just trying to, you know, win, uh, like, hurt their enemies and win power for their own side. I don't know how much I agree with that, but you can certainly there's cynical actors in this world. And then there's probably, you know, the, the people who are, like, just following along who, are you know believe what they're you know believe it in a in a kind of naive way, but just you know they're going along with it, and then there's some character like who is that guy? Uh, uh, Dre? is that his name? The the guy who's always getting um.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: It's always, like, starting this new, like, non-profit and, like, getting money. But, but, but like, he, like, steals the money and, and, like, abuses the staff or something. Oh, he, yeah. He's this Twitter figure. Is it
0: Sean King?
1: Oh, Sean King. That's what I'm thinking. of not DeRay. Sorry. Uh, D-Ray King. is a different person. Yeah, um, yeah.
0: Sean King. Yeah, I just read something about his. They raise millions of dollars for this media empire that didn't exist.
1: Yeah, yeah. He, he, he seems over the past couple of years to have, fr- like, semi-fraudulently um, started these various companies <laughs> end up in, uh, saying it this would be good for the you know, racial justice um, movement, and then sure. nothing, nothing ever really happened, and all the people who went to work for him got screwed over. Um, so, so that seemed, I don't see, he,
0: like, when I observe these dynamics online, I don't see it so much as Machiavellian, like, deliberate. Um, I'm going to oust this person, and that means that I'll get this status, and then that. I see it more as people behaving um, in a way that's so self righteous, and that they believe that they're on the they're on the right side of history by doing what they're doing. Um, they see like like any conflict is like those people are Nazis, and we're fighting the Nazis. like it just right. gets framed in such extreme ways. so I see it more that they think they're they think they're on the good side, not that they're conniving um Machiavellian actors.
1: yeah, I think that makes sense to me. i mean most most people probably there's some people who are like um Sean King, who are maybe like you know uh, thinking of like the next scam they can pull off and but that most people think they're doing the right thing, convince themselves they're doing the right thing, feel good when they're, feel like they're doing the right thing, and, um... And you get
0: validation from the group. You get validation from the other people that are on your side, and they back you up, and that feels good.
1: Yeah. Um, okay, so one thing, one strange thing that has developed in the past couple years is, uh, these fights over, um, especially in, uh, YA young adult literature about, uh, the author writing something and then, uh, writing about a character, it's usually uh, of a race or nationality that isn't their own. And then they uh, get something wrong or something, or some, something is somehow offensive or off key. And then uh, they get dragged online, and maybe they, um, the publisher cancels the book, or they withdraw, they even withdraw the book themselves. I think this. I just saw one within the past forty-eight hours. Uh, this happened: someone withdrawing a book, um, where the as a white author writing a like uh, fantasy novel that t- takes place in the. Uh, uh, within the Gullah community. Oh
0: yes. Uh, I saw that one too. Yeah. Um,
1: which, you know, uh, i even I could have told you that one. <laughs> you know, tread carefully with that one. But um, did you, so one, one of your top uh, three characters is black. Did you um, feel any hesitation? Did you feel like you might get dragged or something? If you get, if you have something culturally insensitive in there, how did you think about that?
0: Yeah. So, and I, and I think it's, it's, it's stretched beyond the borders of YA now because with the American dirt controversy. Right. Um, and I think part of the American dirt controversy was really interesting It seems like it happened 100 years ago. But I think part of the controversy— It was like
1: the last cultural controversy before the pandemic started so of a previous world.
0: But I think part of the—there are many layers to this, but one layer of it is the way that Janine Cummins, the author, went from identifying as a white person to talking about her Puerto Rican grandmother to kind of claim Latinx identity in order to give herself permission to write the book— so th- I feel like that opened the door for people to say, oh, it's convenient that you're Latinx when the book comes out, when you wrote this op-ed in the New York Times that you were white recently. So the way like identity can shift or or, or people can claim identity when it's convenient or when it's inconvenient, I think is part of the conversation. But um, as I said a couple minutes ago, I just I was a little nervous about writing from the point of view of a black character. And I really worked hard on. Khadija's motivations for working for this company, because I thought, why is she here? Like, if I make these two white women awful, um, and it's a satire, so I have to exaggerate and make it funny, right? If I make them like, why does she have this job? And so then I thought, I'll give her equity in the company. So if Khadija thinks like, think about those first Facebook employees and how rich they are today. If she has that in her mind and she feels like she's on the ground of something, um, that would be motivation to be there. And I think it plays into what happens at the end, too. Mm-hmm. So I really thought, I really worked on her as a character and her motivations and in, in the same way I would work on any other character. Um and I think I've been gratified so far to hear from black millennial readers that are connecting to Khadija. So mm-hmm. I also, you know, I listened to other black millennials as I was writing it that, that them describe their their workplace situations. Um and I've had conversations with women of color that worked in my own organization when I was running BinderCon. Um so I think I just, you know, I have my antenna up, I'm listening. Um and I was, I was aware of, I was, you know, I'm not going to say like oh, I didn't even notice that I wrote a black character. I think that would be
1: disingenuous.
0: <laughs> it was very deliberate. Mm-hmm. I, I, wanted her to, I, I thought she should exist in this world that I was creating.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I, you know, I, I think this whole, um, this whole movement uh, is, is pretty ridiculous. And uh, I, I mean, this movement about like you, you don't have the cultural standing to write a, a certain character, um, and it kind of is like antithetical to what the ideals of literature as understood uh for hundreds of years and, and I, ha- I did a glib tweet about this where i said you know um shakespeare wasn't even wasn't a prince and he wasn't even danish um <laughs> it, but, you know, but somehow he wrote hamlet and, right, and, and we're right. okay with that um so you know the 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 art the art is more important than the than the uh artist or author uh, like eventually and i guess things either stand the test of time or they won't i, I doubt american dirt is going to stand the the test of time. Um, but I, you know a few things do.
0: One other interesting thing about identity is like at one point, at one point, um, someone referred to Marin as Jewish. But Marin's not Jewish. She's Christian. Um, she goes to church in the book. Um, but because my last name is Stein, and people assume that Marin is me, they assume that Marin is Jewish. I've also been interviewed for Jewish publications about the book. There's nothing Jewish in the book at all. So I think that's interesting, too. Like, you know, other Jews want to want, if I'm succeeding, other Jews want me part of the tribe, which I appreciate. Um, right. But, but there's no Jewish character in well, that's You
1: know, that's interesting because I, in the, so I guess, you know, there's a kind of Judar that a Jewish reader (laughs) has like, which character (laughs) is Jewish, which, you know, famous person out there is Jewish. And then, well, her last name is Gelb, which I guess is an ambiguous, ambiguously Semitic name. It could go, could go either way. Um, and so, yeah, Marin is, is, I, I don't know where that name comes from. Um, but yes, okay. So, so do people? So, what do you think about that? That people are like that? You know, Lee Stein, Marinell. These are the, these are the same people. Uh, how does that strike you?
0: <laughs> it's it's okay with me. It's okay that I'm that I'm read right on to Marin. I mean, Marin is, you know, it's just funny because some people are like, I hate this character, and other people are like, Oh, I so identify with Marin. So it's funny to um, get such different. Uh, reactions. It's fine if you want to read me as Marin. I mean, Marin is Marin works so hard and she's a martyr and she thinks she works, you know, she does everything that no one else will want to do. And she doesn't delegate because she thinks she's better than everyone else. And that's me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I've been able to do I've been able to do some cool things in my life because I'm a control freak workaholic. Um, but it's also my downfall.
1: Um, are there uh, so I mentioned there were parts of this that reminded me of David Foster Wallace's writing. Were there other authors that inspired you or other books that uh, you thought about when you were writing this?
0: Yeah. So as I was, when, while I was writing it, my agent said, have you read American Psycho? And I said, no, I'm a good feminist because my <laughs> understanding of American Psycho is this is like a very bad book that, that would, you know, poison your mind if you read it. <laughs> so I bravely started reading it and I was like, this is hilarious. It's so funny. So a lot of what you mentioned, Devin's obsession with products.
1: Oh, right, right, right. That's... That
0: comes from American Psycho, his Clinique, multi-step Regimen. I just love the way he juxtaposes um, the grooming rituals of this sociopathic killer. And so when the book sold to a publisher, my book was sold as American Psycho in a Goop Universe... And someone on Instagram was like, "Oh my God, is someone going to get murdered with a jade egg?" And I was like, "That's such a good idea that I didn't think of. That's so funny." But then I say, like, my book is my book is American Psycho, but instead of murder, it's just like women behaving badly on the internet to each other.
1: Okay, cancellation instead of yeah, instead of murder, perhaps yeah. Oh God, I mean, I'm, I mean, someone like getting conked over the head with a jade egg could, would be a great. Scene in in some sort of something or other, um. Yeah, I, actually, I haven't. I have, still haven't read that one. I've seen I've seen parts of the movie, but um. And there's famous scenes that the have become movie's so
0: funny where they're comparing business cards. Yes, the business card scene, which is just like I mean, it's just like social media now. How many followers do you have?
1: <laughs> right. Um. Okay. Well, let's see. Did I have any other questions about the book itself before we move on to some other things? Oh, I wa- I was wondering, like, um, do you think? that like that uh well this is moving more into the real world that 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 um you know and over the past couple months your book is prophetic in in some ways or prescient and or uh, someone told me that it's actually pronounced prescient and i've been pronouncing it prescient my entire life uh so i don't know which one is correct but i apologize either way and
0: um i I vote prescient that's my vote
1: (laughs) and uh you know, so there's these, like, these websites, like, um, uh, cupcakes and caviar, is that what it's called? Or, Cashmere. Cashmere. Um, you know, places I, I it, it, basically sites aimed at women for doing, like, clothing and stuff and, and fashion and lifestyle stuff. Uh, um, and some of them have, like, posted these, you know, these, like, well, I'm sorry, you know, kind of, like, big things on Instagram, just like a black background white text i'm sorry or something and kind of groveling before their readers that you know they uh, they never acknowledged a white privilege or they never they treated their back, black employees badly or never had any black employees or something and i think this is maybe an idea i'm picking up from the feminine cast ladies that like you know it's 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 somehow easier to get women to assume this kind of like you know like, like a, a woman is, is more likely to give in to this kind of like the demands of the mob because they want to like mollify the crowd. Whereas a man is maybe more likely to be like, go fuck yourself. I, I don't care what you say. And so that's why some of these, you know, you have these extensive apologies from these type of people and you can probably name it some of the other ones who oh, I, I can't remember right now. I think maybe someone at the wing. Yeah. There
0: was a whole, yeah. There was like a whole apology tour on Instagram. It was like Audrey Gelman of the wing, um, Jen Gotch of Bando, uh, Man repeller, um, Reformation clothing. It was all. It all happened, I think, in June around the um, the protests for Black Lives.
1: Yes, um, and I don't know. I mean, what is, you know, what what is like the male equivalent of those websites? Is it like Barstool Sports or something? I don't. I don't even know exactly. But like, you know, the Barstool Sports guys have like doubled down on being offensive assholes like they are they are not like doing apologies yeah
0: but look at um god what is his name the guy in charge of the nfl that finally came out and robert roger goodell right who said who said like we were wrong about colin kaepernick okay that's true
1: that's true and you have even just uh yesterday the the washington redskins announced they're gonna change the name you know the name of their football team from a racial slur to something else um But maybe it's—I mean, maybe it's more about the personalization of of the brand when it becomes identified strongly with one person. That's more likely to be a woman than a man. I don't know. I don't know. Like you know, Elon it's Musk so... is not apologizing. Who are the? Like, who are other? Like you know, right, uh, t- t- Tim, Tim Tim Cook is not apologizing. Um, what, do, you, do you see anything to this?
0: I have so many thoughts, but like one thing <laughs> is like the apologies are like dovetailing with the rise of like books like White Fragility, and I. In my bubble, and admittedly, I think my bubble is more women than men, but I see white women picking up white fragility and white women issuing these apologies, that it's this kind of self-help, this self-improvement thing that I'm going to work on myself. I don't know. Are, are white men buying white fragility in droves? In your experience, have you seen this in your bubble?
1: Um, I i don't think so. I mean, not, not, that, not that I can. I mean, I i don't know what my bubble is exactly. I, in my bubble, I've, I've seen more people saying white fragility sucks than, um, yes. Yes. than you but know, like praising Kat, it.
0: Kat Rosenfield wrote a great piece on this, and she and I have talked about this. I was trying to pitch an op-ed that didn't get picked up about a similar thing, but it's like, White women, like self-improvement is like our jam, man. Like just tell us how to work on ourselves. Like give us the book, give us the program. Is it five steps? Is it 10 steps? Like, is it like a food that I should eat on a certain day, a certain time of day? Um, work on my white fragility. So, so the apology statements, they're so self-centered. Um, that's it's, and, and I just ask like, what is this doing? Like, how is this helping black Americans? I just, I, it's one thing if you say, like, I'm gonna really look at my hire, like, I'm gonna really look at my staff and, and I'm gonna make some changes and I'm gonna promote certain people. And I realize that I made the mistake here. I realize that the pay disparity, there's a pay disparity. That's one thing. But like, to post something on Instagram, are you changing the world, really? And this again, I think, is this pressure to be on the right side. There's a it's 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 conformity and peer pressure. If you see everyone else around you doing it, you have to do it, or else the mob says, "Where's your statement? Mm-hmm. Don't you care about Black Lives?"
1: You probably saw a lot of people posting like a black square on Instagram on, oh a, my God, on a certain black day, Tuesday. Yeah, um, which was an interesting thing that I, I mean, I don't think it was a bad thing that they were doing. And then there's like this weird backlash saying that like. That you know, it would like prevent people from getting like information they wanted about the protest or something. It was just all these but black they were boxes. Using the one
0: hashtag. So then the black lives matter hashtag was flooded with black boxes.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, I like how, like, you know, if you're getting your like protest information from Instagram, and I guess, you know, Instagram is very popular. So there are people who are doing that, but it, it seems, yeah, this seems kind of weird. Um But yeah. One I mean, other
0: thing I want to say about this, your original question about these apologies is when I was running this Facebook group. So that was 2014 to 2017, there would be drama every day. And then I would like come home from the trenches and I would like tell my boyfriend, like, here's what happened today on the internet. And he'd be like, this doesn't happen where men are. He's like, this is only happening because it's only women. And I'd be like, no, you don't know that. Whatever. Like I'd get all pissed. But now this drama is happening in the public arena. It's not happening just in these little subcultures. Like the fact that you know all about this YA stuff, um, it's happening out there in public. And the other thing is like in the novel, there's like the activist users of ritual the fake company and then there's the wellness influencers but today those are actually on top of each other that the wellness influencers are now making social justice a part of their brand explicitly and and it's are they doing it because they're awakened they're woken to social justice issues or are is it a savvy marketing move this is my cynical self um but is 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 racial justice part of your wellness brand, just what feminism was three years ago?
1: Yeah. And uh, yeah, so my, my cynical slash like kind of Marxist interpretation of a lot of what's happened over the past month is like, um, you know, basically every corporation in America put forth some sort of statement supporting, you know, deploring the murder of George Floyd and supporting the Black Lives Matter movement in some way. And, and then it got down to even like th- things that became absurd server was like Skittles or something uh, you know, oh, was yeah. putting out, putting out uh something. And so it it became both like, okay, in some ways, this movement has won it, like, if, you know, the corporate America uh, is super powerful in America, and, they, and they've decided to get on board with this. But also, this movement doesn't really challenge the power of corporate America, or maybe really change anything. Because if, if every, you know, if everyone from the NFL to Skittles is signing on to this, then like, what are they actually, you know, it, it, it can't be, it can't be like upending the, uh, (laughs) uh, this is not revolutionary. This is, this is just like, right.
0: The Amazon statement was really rich to me. Like the Amazon standing with black lives matter. It's like, it's like improve your warehouses. Like what, like you have inhumane worker conditions, but you stand with black lives.
1: Yeah. Amazon doesn't care about the lives of any of its workers. It seems like, um, you you know, I saw something about how they were like docking, um, you know, they're very closely, the workers and warehouses are very closely monitored, like minute by minute what they're doing. And they were like docking time that people were like washing their hands, um, you know, for, for preventing the spread of coronavirus. They're like docking that time. So yeah, they don't, uh, Amazon doesn't, doesn't care about white lives, black lives or anything. Uh, they care about money. Um, but an
0: interesting like flip that's happened is that like corporations are now people. So the corporations are going to tell us how they feel <laughs> another and what thing, their Mitt values
1: Romney, are. Another thing that Mitt Romney famously said, corporations are people, my friend.
0: Oh, he did. That's funny. I don't remember that. <laughs> but but and then people have become brands. So people have to issue statements that have been vetted by their crisis comms team and corporations have to tell us how much they care and what their feelings are and it's like backwards.
1: Yeah, yeah. The cor- the, the the corporation is a legal fiction. It doesn't it can't actually have feelings and okay. yeah and, and yet people seem to I don't know, cry out for uh, you know, uh, Sprint and AT&T uh, to weigh in on, on these things. But, but yeah, but if, if there's, you know, maybe, maybe there, there will be some change within, within these organizations. I'm, I'm cynical and I, and I doubt it. And we're almost, you know, somewhat like moving on to further things like, I don't know, like the, you know, attention span of Americans these days, like can't really encompass all that much at the same time. So, you know, uh, June well, was Black, a lot of matter. bad
0: stuff happening at once.
1: <laughs> yes. And, and now we're onto, you know, the Harper's letter and, um, you know, 50 other things that are assaulting our senses every single day. Um, okay. I think that is, do I have anything else on the, on the, um, no, I think that's it on the book. Well, let's, but I also want to talk to you about, um, well, I guess, okay. There's, there's, there's at least a couple things. So one is um, an idea that was partially inspired by something you said at, at an event, uh, which was an online event because this is pandemic. So you did an online book event with um, the uh, two hosts of uh blocked and reported who are Jesse mm-hmm. Single and Katie Herzog mm-hmm. and also the two hosts of Feminine Chaos um Kat Rosenfield and Julie Baltzovi um at, uh, you know over zoom and mm-hmm. you were talking about um binders and the moderation and kind of how um I can't remember exactly what you said but it was kind of how you know no, like you, you would never make you never make the people happy um you know there, <laughs> there was never like some sort of when, when thing, when it came to this, like people were always agreed and then there's just a constant flow of this stuff. So we should, and then we want to note that maybe that this event became somewhat controversial. Um, but let, let's, let's, um, put a pin in that for now. And so I was thinking that like, uh, so, I, so I'm a moderator. I moderate the comments, uh, on blogging heads and also on YouTube and, um, it's not fun. Uh, it's a pre. it's pretty thankless. Uh, and no one, no, people are rarely like, thank you, moderators. You did a great job today. Uh, usually they're like, fuck you, moderators. I hate you. I'm going to murder you. Or not, not, not that far, but just like, you know, Aria, go-
0: let me just say thank you for all your labor as the <laughs> moderator.
1: Yeah. I, what about, you know, so I did, I actually did a joke to me yesterday that it was, uh, international, uh, thank the moderators day. Um, and they
0: deserve, you deserve that. I yeah. think.
1: Um, but yeah. Okay. So, so can you talk a little bit about your experience and then I, but it also made me think about how a lot of the problems that are in the modern online world leaking into the real world because we're all online are really moderation problems. Um, but can you, can you talk a little bit more about moderating the, uh, yeah. th- this group?
0: That's super interesting. So, so my experience was this group of, it, it was like 30,000 and it grew to 40,000 by the time I left. Uh, and I didn't start the group, but I was an early member and really excited by the group. And then I took it over with some other people. Um, but I and and we collaborated. So there was like a collaborative effort to make like a code of conduct. I think both for the conference, we had a code of conduct and I think we had it in the group. Um, and so there were reasons that you could lose your lose. You could get kicked out of the Facebook group. Um, And one thing that I know, and then there were, there were 200 subgroups. So I, I ran the main group and then there were subgroups for all kinds of writers. So like, if you were a travel writer, there was a subgroup for you. If you were an essayist, if you were a fiction writer, if you were LGBTQ, there were identity groups, sometimes we'd get these messages that like so-and-so was bad in the subgroup, kick them out of the main binder. And we would say my co-founder and I would say, like, they haven't violated any of the rules. Like, we had to create some kind of structure that we could check things against. So it wasn't just like, I personally dislike this person, I'm kicking them out. Like, that didn't happen. There had to be a structure in rules. Um, but of course, it's much messier than that. And the people pleaser... I mean, this is just this is just my own personal flaw, but I'm a, I'm a people pleaser, I'm a Libra, I like harmony and compromise, I want everyone to get along. You know, some of these, the biggest conflict, I can't remember if I talked about this in the group, but the biggest conflict of all was whether the conference should allow babies and children at the conference. We had a no babies and children policy, there was a backlash to that, and so a secret Facebook group was formed in order to stage a protest against us on Twitter using our hashtag, because every conference our hashtag would trend. So they strategically plotted to take us down the weekend of the conference by saying that we weren't feminist by not allowing babies and children. And this was like I was I still to this day don't know if I made the right decision or the wrong decision. I could not figure out what the right thing to do was because I listened to the women on my team, many of whom were moms. They said no babies and children at the conference. This is my weekend away. Um, and then other people online who had never been to our conference said, how can you call yourselves feminists if you don't allow nursing infants at the conference? And I heard both sides, but like, I couldn't find a way to please both sides. So I ended up putting together a working committee to work on this. And, um, you know, I I, I kept trying to make it collaborative because we were Driven and organized by volunteers. And so the only way this thing got off the ground was with people volunteering to put in the work w- alongside me. Um, I only made $12,000 a year doing this. So this was not my full-time job. Mm-hmm. So I think something that made me really cynical is, you know, how, how hard I tried to involve the community and how much resistance I faced because it's so much easier to critique than it is to build.
1: Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, that, that's, yeah, that's a universal thing. It's much easier to tear down and, and uh, people online are very good at tearing down, but, but uh, creating something and building something and maintain, maintaining it is difficult. So I, yes, yeah, so I've been involved in content moderation at Blogging Heads for like a decade or so. And actually um, long-time viewers may remember that uh, uh, Robert Wright, creator of blogging, co-creator of Blogging Heads, and I once had a, um, a occasional series called Commenter Court where we would examine disputes in the comment forum and try to decide who had, you know, violated the rules or crossed a line first and who should get an admonishment um, or something. I love that
0: idea. How did you create the rules? Like, how do you create the rules for the comments? Well,
1: I I think the rules, I, I can't remember exactly. There were, there were maybe they still exist somewhere online. There were rules. It was like a previous iteration of, it was V Bulletin, not Discuss. Um, and so it was, it was a somewhat different setup. And I, I think I mean there were the standard rules of like you know no like violent threats, racial slurs, um, blah blah blah, that kind of stuff. And then there were maybe just that we tried, I think we there's only like three or so. We just tried to keep it very simple and try to um, make it like you know so it wouldn't need like it was somewhat self sustaining or obvious. But I think it ultimately didn't really work. I mean one thing that's different about blogging has is at least in its original conception it was people from right and left. Coming together, so it wasn't like the Daily Kos sites where it's all liberals fighting each other, and where there's also when when everyone is supposed to agree, like have some set agreement, then like the people who are on the extremes can kind of hijack the entire thing and move the group consensus like further in 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 their direction. Whereas whereas this was usually people from right and left uh, fighting with each other, and which you know continues to this day, but not as much as as it used to. And I mean, we eventually just gave it up because it really, like, it, it didn't seem like it was. Doing anything people would get, I mean, we, we kind of did it in a, um, like, uh, uh, keeping it a light tone, and it would be like, I was the prosecuting attorney, Bob Wright was the judge, I would say, I think it's this person, he would, you know, he would uh, think about it and issue issue a verdict, and, like, we, not, no one ever got banned through this process, it was mainly, like, supposed to be, like, instructive. but yeah, p- may, people, some people liked it, other people got offended by it, you know, they didn't want to uh, hear someone talking about their, their comments and oh so they
0: just it out there
1: yeah and so um or th- they claim they are being misunderstood misrepresented and so we eventually just stopped doing it um but yeah because they
0: could not speak in their defense in the court
1: i think that's part of it you know people would respond uh there was a comment thread attached to each episode and, and sad these, these episodes kind of got lost when we tr- transitioned to a different uh hosting platform or, or content management software um so so they i don't think you can find them online anymore but um I don't know if that's sad or not, actually. Maybe that's a good thing. But um, this is, like, circa, you know, 2010. And, yeah, so that didn't really work. And then, I mean, so essentially now, like, there's a sense of what the rules are. And I think it should be obvious to everyone, you know, what the rules are. But um, it does kind of come down to just me, you know, saying, like, is this, should this deserve the boot or not? And people very rarely get banned, but they do occasionally get banned. But, like, like, it doesn't. Yeah, like I said, you're never making everyone happy. Um, the person, you know, the the person who broke, you know, rarely is the person who like violated the rule, or whatever. Thing like, so this so this is not like the you know white fragility kind of thing where people are like saying, "I'm sorry, I promise to you do better." More, more likely, they're like, "Right, no yeah, fuck that. <laughs> So so they're mad, and um, and yeah, so it's just it's very it's very difficult to do even within. Like, these forums, and then, you know, uh, there's the blogging as comments. Commenters tend to be a little more high-minded than the YouTube commenters, where you get more drive-by people who find the video through, you know, algorithmic display or something, uh-huh. or a ran, random search, so they're not, like, uh, they don't really know the they're whole setup.
0: They're not, like, loyalists. Yeah, yeah and so, and so brand.
1: you know, there's the obvious stuff to delete, like, making fun of someone's appearance or way of speaking, and, um, and then, you know, you get the racist, anti-Semitic, uh, anti-woman kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's 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 a mess. But then what it, what it made me think about was like, you know, OK, so what are the what are some of the major like, cultural controversies of our age? Um, you know, cancel culture, um, uh, fake news online, um, Donald Trump on Twitter. You know, what, what, what do we do about him? Um, you know, he Donald Trump will, will tweet something that's obviously not true. How does how does the news uh, how, did, how does the news media report it? Um, these are all in some ways problems of like message board moderation. Uh, you know, Facebook and one, Twitter are message Yeah, One other
0: thing I would add is that it was this, there are certain there are certain people who really thrive on outrage. And I think I would I hope that I didn't I mean, I, I don't feel like I ever joined a pylon to hurt another person, and I hope that's true. As far as I remember, I don't think I did. But outrage can feel really good. Um and I think there are certain voices that are louder than others. You see the same characters show up again and again. I don't know if this is your experience moderating, but like I saw it when I was doing the Facebook group, I'd see the same players over and over again. And for years after I resigned, until we all went inside our houses, I would run into women, I would meet women, and they'd be like, oh, I'm a a binder, and I would say, oh, I don't know if I, you know, I don't know if I know you, and they'd be like, I just lurk. So many people just lurk and never comment because they just opt out of the debate, the debate, but some people are, love this stuff. They love getting in the middle of it.
1: Yeah, so it's for a sure.
0: sport. It's a sport for some people. They
1: enjoy it. Yeah, it, there's it, a there's a certain personality type that wants to be a poster, um, as you know, say on Twitter. And I, yeah, I've been you know I've been a poster since like 1995 when uh, my family first got AOL, and I found a um, message board for X Men fans, and I was I was posting on there. So so this is you know 25 years. Mine was or so. an
0: Andrew Lloyd Webber um, fan club chat room, <laughs> or maybe message board, and then chat room. Yeah.
1: Interesting, um, but yeah, so basically, at any you know any um forum needs a moderator or it's gonna be overrun by trolls. And I think even like like 4chan was classically the the like unmoderated space, but I think even they started moderating because of like child porn and stuff. And Yeah, and I
0: think their font fa- there was like a suicide and their founder was really disturbed about it. Like the founder kind of walked back what Yeah, was. I think
1: the guy well the the guy who shot up the mosques in New Zealand like That's posted his either his manifesto or his, like, live stream or something on 4chan. So then, like, the, the renegades from 4chan founded 8chan, so it's, like, even 4chan wasn't, was, like, you know, there were people who were like, this is too moderated when it was famously, like, the, the Wild West chaos. Um, and I, I might have some details about this wrong, wrong. Commenters sound off in the in the comments if I have it wrong. But, like, okay, so you once you accept that you need some moderation, and then it really just comes down to, like, kind of a judgment call. And... um you know, um, oh, what's his name? The guy who wrote Moneyball had this podcast series that came out last year. That was all about Michael Lewis. Yeah, Michael Lewis. I can't remember what it was called. But it was all about judgment and how no one, um, no one trusts judges anymore. And he talks about um, refs, you know, like challenges against the refs in the NBA and all sorts of and you know the people who are like looking at uh, credit default swaps or something from the government and trying to assess whether they were uh, AAA or not. Like, like it, it's just like it, it is a weird thing just to say to like, okay, this person's going to say yes or no right or wrong and then you can't question that. So when like the uh, an actual judge in real life says wrong like they said he gets sent to jail, so that's that's the real world That's the force of the state behind it when it's just some schmuck like me uh moderating it seems like, you know, why does he know more than I do? Um you know, he's a moron, I'm great and you know, let's yeah, yeah. let's let's be pissed off about it. So you know, like,
0: and I think there's huge distrust of leaders on both the right and the left. Like we just don't trust leaders right now. And so if you're telling me you're the moderator, I'm like, what gives you the right to be the exactly, moderator? Exactly. Who put you in charge? You know, we just don't, we, we've lost faith in, in any institution, even if it's, you know, bloggingheads.com.
1: <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and so, okay. So like, you know, cancel culture. So uh if if a if a group of people are like mobbing one certain person online, then like the moderators should step in and like give all those people time out or uh block the hashtag or ban or ban them. Like how many times is something does a like someone celebrity names uh, cancel party? Or no is over party, that's what they say. It's like this K-pop stand thing. Uh, I don't know this. Okay, on Twitter, so I saw one. I just I saw one just before this. Sebastian Stan, who's an actor who's in the Avengers movies, uh, he plays Bucky uh, or the Winter Soldier. Uh, he, uh, Sebastian Stan is over party. Apparently, he did something bad. It was hard to figure out exactly what. He blocked a fan or something who was critiquing him, and so like his hashtag was there, and all these K-pop people, they they're called fan cams. They put, they put like little videos underneath and it's like, oh, it's like a way of like celebrating their favorites, like the stars that they think are good or something. It's a, it's a strange world, but like if, if, you know, if responsible people were running Twitter, they would not allow a hashtag that's like, so, so, so and so is over party to trend because it's just, a, it's just like, Encouraging so it's, bad, a, bad it's a
0: ritual celebration of the end of someone's career. Yes,
1: the thing is, there, there—it's always a celebrity, and their career is rarely over. And it's usually like Got a B it. or C level celebrity. Who sometimes it's like someone who's an actor on a show on the CW or something that I've never heard of. So, um, and I have, a, so I have a sick fascination with this, obviously. Um, but yeah, so there's all sorts of things. Okay, in any normal, if there was a normal message board, and Donald Trump did the things that he was doing on it that he does on Twitter, the moderator would ban Donald Trump. It's just that he is the president, and so they, Twitter can't ban him. And then you know, because you can't you can't ban the president, like that's that's insane. And so there's all these. I guess I just started thinking about how you know, like the the trouble with moderation, because everything online now is essentially a message board. Uh, you know, we're we're, yeah, we're, yeah, we're stuck yeah. in this world where, where we need the moderators to step in, but we don't know who those people should be or how exactly they they should act. And so, usually, they don't act because, like, Facebook won't ban all these, you know, like Ben Shapiro's, um, uh, you know, uh, whatever his fake is like bullshit news site on Facebook is because he brings there's like millions of elderly people who are clicking on these articles every day, and Facebook yeah, likes that good
0: for Facebook.
1: So, but like a responsible Facebook would be like, no, you know, all this all this shit should be gone, but they're, they're, they're not responsible They're So they are bad and and they should be canceled in my opinion.
0: I think there's just this general anxiety where we all feel like, who are the grownups in charge? Like, isn't there someone in charge here? Like, like where's mom and dad? Like, I I feel this all the time. Like, I'm like, Obama, I miss you. Come back. I didn't appreciate you enough while I had you. Like he, it was like very fatherly and very comforting. Like, I feel like my blood pressure lowers. Just listening to his voice. Even today. Like I just feel (laughs) calmer. Um, it's so the opposite of Trump but um yeah Trump Trump I, wants to
1: rile people up that that's his. yeah
0: yeah I feel like I I feel like I'm of two minds on this moderation question I think I used to be um, I used to be in favor for more serious moderation from these platforms I used to be in favor of them doing more um, to to stop the spread of fake news and that stuff and I think I've come around to the other way because I think where do you draw the line if you give them more power to say who can say what and I I heard an interesting point from Jonathan height on Sam Harris's podcast where he said, um, free speech doesn't mean freedom of reach. And so he had, his idea is that like people should have to, um, What's the word? Validate their identity. So you can't be an anonymous troll. You would have to sync it up with your real name okay. so that whatever you say online is really associated to you as a person. I thought that was an interesting idea because I see stuff on Twitter all the time where I'm like, is this a bot? I don't even think this is a person. Right. Um, so the, the proliferation of bots, especially li- leading up to the election, like in foreign actors interfering with our election if, if we had to verify our identity, would that help with that problem?
1: Yeah, I think that that would help in some ways. And there's probably people in the comments who will say things like, "You know, I uh, I'm an untenured professor at uh, you know uh, like a rural college or something, and you know this is the I, only way I can spe- I can speak my mind." and uh, things like that, which 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 makes sense. But um, and yeah, I see
0: that too. I see that too. I mean, I've thought about I thought about making a a fake account, like a burner account for myself, so I can
1: so really, I can say really what say what, what you mean. Um, yeah. well, you know, uh, for me, you only get the straight, you know, hundred uh, <laughs> percent. There's some drill tweet that's like that. You know, it's like where it ends with uh, Twitter.com. I live for this. Um, <laughs> it's like no trolls, <laughs> no bullshit. Um, okay, so but yeah, I think I I might write something about this. Uh, if I can flesh this out and, um, but yeah, the more there's like thinking about an online problem, it often, you can often think, oh, this is, this is a moderation problem. And uh, yeah, like I said, online life, uh, is becoming very similar to, to real life. Um, okay. Do you want, do you want to talk briefly about that, how you got some blowback recently and maybe some people are trying to cancel you for, (laughs) um, for appearing at an event with such you know horrible people as Katie Herzog and Jesse Single who have both appeared on this very program. Oh wow. And you're safe? Um I, I well thankfully I'm <laughs> such a nobody that uh that no one's tried to cancel me. Uh but um I'm sliding under the radar for now.
0: Yeah, it's um I guess I guess I I was I- it would be disingenuous to say that I didn't think there would be some controversy because I am aware. So I feel like I met this like Venn diagram where like on the one side of the Venn diagram are like all the online feminists that I met through my work with binders and binder And then on the other side, I have my, the ideologically diverse group of people I follow on the internet who are blogging, blogging heads hosts or who are, you know, Thomas Chatterton Williams or like the, we, the fifth guys, I like their podcast too. Um, People with different, you know, maybe different politics than me whose ideas are interesting. So I'm like at the intersection of this of this Venn diagram. But the people on this side, uh, I know that they don't like Katie and Jesse. And so I thought there might be some tweets that Katie and Jesse appeared in an event with me. But um, it it was more controversial than I imagined. So I'm in trouble. I'm guilty by association with Katie and Jesse now as if. (sighs) Yeah, I might, I might end up writing about this, but it it seems to me that they have reputations as being transphobic. And I don't even agree with that premise. Um, So the pushback is somehow that I'm transphobic by associating with the people that I don't think are transphobic. And I just wish that my actions and my reputations would speak for itself because I started a conference for women writers that was inclusive of trans women from the very first conference we had trans speakers. So I, I think that that should speak for what my values are. And I'm, hesitant to start defending myself on Twitter because I don't think I actually did anything wrong.
1: Yeah. Um, but- I, w- I would say in general, it's a bad idea to ever try to defend yourself on Twitter. It just, it's just like, it's a loser's game or, or you know a bugs game or something. Um, because yeah. immediately you'll have 10 people replying to you. And say so like, what about this thing? What about that thing? And,
0: but I think trans rights, and I'm all for trans rights and trans access, trans people's access to healthcare. I'm all for that. But I think it's such a contentious issue right now, particularly with J.K. Rowling's um, opinions, that it's just like it's there's this paranoia about who's a good person, who's a bad person, who believes the right thing, and who believes the wrong thing. Um, and I'm somehow now caught up in this, even though my novel has nothing to do with trans issues. I don't think we said the word trans at all in the event that I did. It was nothing about so, the, so was about I, was, the I was at
1: the event, so I hope I don't so think you canceled can, just for being
0: yeah. you know, a,
1: silent, a silent observer of the event. But
0: the reason I connect with Jesse and Katie is because they write about Internet culture and Internet dynamics, which is what I write about. And I think as someone who's been on the bottom of this pylon, I, was, I would consider what happened with the baby drama at my conference like a pylon, like it was like this strategic thing to kind of destroy what I had built. Mm-hmm. Um, after I lived through that, I connect with other people that have lived through that. I mean, that's like a very human thing, I think, to connect with other people who've been through what you've been through. And I think people on the left who have been through all kinds of traumatic experiences know what it's like to connect with other people who share their experience.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, there, there's a scene towards the end of the novel where there's a protest that happens at an event. Was that was – that, is there a relation between that and the <laughs> online protest that happened at um... your <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I definitely wanted to have a scene at a conference. When I was envisioning the book, I thought like that would be the end of the book. I thought it was going to culminate with this conference and this protest. Um, But then I wrote another third of the book. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, our first it was like some of this was really true. Like our first conference, we rented out NYU's law school, um, which has this like big room with Oriental rugs and oil paintings and all the oil paintings are white men. So you're just in a room with all these oil paintings. And the keynote was between Jill Abramson and Emily Bell, who is at Columbia, and one of them made a joke about like how ironic it was that we were all there being looked at by all these men. It was a women-only event, and so that that made it into the novel.
1: <sighs> right. Um, yeah. The, it, yeah. It's it's a good scene, and you have some there's some funny twists about how it how it plays out. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, the, it, there's this weird part of the like whatever we want to call the current like cultural craziness. Um, Cancel culture what do you or whatever.
0: Cancel culture. Do you th- do you think that phrase is? I think people are trying to figure out a better phrase. But are you?
1: Yeah. So well, well, I think it's a. I think it's a bad phrase. There's there. I think there's still people saying cancel culture doesn't exist. Um, I think that's a diminishing band of people who are holding out to this position. Clearly, something is happening that's different than what happened ten years ago. I think it's mm-hmm. mainly. I think it needs to be like disambiguated from like an online phenomenon versus a kind of cultural phenomenon, I think really, and I, I I apologize for referencing my past tweets so much during this conversation, I, I said, maybe cancel culture is just Twitter culture. It's just like Twitter culture is expanding yeah. beyond Twitter. And so it's, it's so there's like in Twitter, there's the ratio, which is when someone does a bad tweet and everyone replies, making fun of, dunking, saying, go fuck yourself, uh, making right. fun of their name, their appearance, what a stupid moron you are. Um, and so that's when they get, when someone gets more replies and they get likes that is scientifically proven to mean that they did a bad tweet. Um, so once that starts happening in real life, where everyone is, like, ganging up on one... one, And I, I admit to participating in probably dozens of ratios, because especially when it's a bad actor, or, like, Ari Fleischer, or, uh, you know, Carl Rove or something, then saying, uh, eat a turd, uh, which is one of my favorite phrases in recent years on, on <laughs> Twitter. Um, and someone actually tried to cancel me for saying, eat a turd, to to conservatives online, uh, but we don't need to get into that. But um, but uh, yeah, so so translate that into the real world, it changes, and um, especially and then when the person has no like prominence, when it's an everyday person, and or someone caught on video doing something stupid or be, or being uh, racist or something on the street, and then you know we, we've all heard about these stories of the past couple months and years. Um, and I mean, yeah, I mean one, one thing that. An interesting data point from the past couple of weeks is the, the the Central Park birder um, said he was not going to testify or give a statement against the white woman who uh, called the police on him, and she's been charged with uh, filing false, a false report. Which I think, which I think is appropriate if you file a false report um that that is a serious that like is a serious offense
0: it's a consequence for her actions
1: yeah no uh, her being fired that I, i'm not a That's huge also a not a huge fan of that but um yeah but uh, anyway so this guy um uh, i think his name is christian cooper uh yep. which is almost like in the, if there was a novel and you name this guy christian cooper uh people would be like yeah this is what are you doing this is unbelievable um he uh he said he wasn't gonna so he tweeted he wasn't gonna do it, and then people in the replies were like What what are you talking about? Like, you know, they were they were arguing with him and and, and seeing being like you suck for not uh, doing the full cancellation and showing like Christian mercy Um, like that. That's that's out the window at at this point. Uh, There's no Christian mercy on Twitter. So anyway, so I think this
0: is a this is a hugely important irony that the people on the left that are calling for police reform and prison abolition and saying that our law enforcement goes too far and our prison, the prison industrial complex has to end. There is no restorative justice. Or hope for people within our own communities to reform themselves, and I think that's it's so hypocritical because what what is the option for Amy Cooper if Amy Cooper shows remorse and she regrets what she did and she learns from this and she wants to restore her place in the community, what is available to her?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's like you know sack sackcloth and ashes and walk barefoot to Jerusalem or something. I like, feel like people want their enemies destroyed um in whatever way so losing the job is the most obvious one and she already did lose her job and she she, like the dog she got was taken away from her so she so she so like her life sucks now more than more than it did and yeah i don't know how she she, there's no way for her to to like get back to something um but yeah i think it it was just like it was just so crazy that peep that the the guy who would have been the victim of this this scenario was like no i don't want her to be punished any further and random this people online were like right. no punish punish like they're, they're they're throwing stones they want more you know they want to see more vengeance wrecked and yeah who is i i joked who is you know before we defund the police can we wrestle the karens like who's going to arrest the karens if we if we don't have cops like that that's a problem to figure out so <laughs> yeah so I, I so it's like you know everyone wants you know their part, their enemy my... just to suffer Right. Like, no so matter part
0: what's of my lay person's understanding of restorative justice is, is is you you actually talk to the victim and you say like, what would you like? And Christian Cooper the victim of this scenario, so if we aren't listening to Christian Cooper, it's it's a farce.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, I think and I hope to. I'm gonna do another episode with um, I don't even know what I should say because I might get canceled. But a person whose name was mentioned in this conversation, I'm gonna do oh my do an up- upcoming episode with that person, and we'll have to see uh, whether it even airs because I might be you know wanting to go underground or something after the recording. But um, I, would, I want to talk more about um, this the stuff. And all, but, is, but
0: my group feels betrayed by me. That's the thing. My group says I thought you know the sense that I get is my group saying we thought you were one of us you're one of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, listen, can I just be like, can I be a little of this? Can I be a little of that? Can I have my own thoughts and opinions? Am I allowed to have my own thoughts and opinions anymore? I'm not. Or am I I'm supposed to suffer consequence? They would say you you can have your own opinions, but you have to suffer the consequences of those opinions.
1: <laughs> or you move into this space of like the contrarian, which is, you know, is a role that one can play. And in some ways, um, all four the people who were on the hosted the conversation with you play the contrarian to more or lesser degrees. And, um, and that is, you know, that is opposed to take. And, uh, you know, uh, I guess, <laughs> oh, I shouldn't say any more than that, but, um, but yeah, I would just say that with the whole cancel closest thing, I think should be broken up into, you know, is there a new moral climate? Is it a technological change? Obviously it's, it, it's both. Um, is it, you know, what, like, what is the, the, like, um, economic uh r- like ramifications why you know why uh, can someone be fired so easily in the united states like you know it is it, in france or something is this playing out where they because everyone is united uh, the most they can do is give them like you know they have to sit uh, in like the rubber room or something for two weeks uh if if <laughs> the french version of amy cooper so so i don't know but i think i i think like c- c- cancel culture has revealed itself to be you know something exists something is happening but it's it's more spread out, and it's not just what you know, uh, Dave Rubin or something uh, would would say about it. That it's just you know these these crazy lefties uh, out of control kind of thing. I, I think it's it's much more complicated.
0: Yeah, and I think when you say when you call it Twitter culture instead, like there's this social scientist named Nathan Jurgensen who has this idea of digital dualism, which is the idea that online isn't real life that people think online isn't real life. And I've always pushed back against this because I think online life is totally real. And I think that's becoming more clear to normies who maybe haven't spent as much time online as you and I have, because now that we're all at home during the pandemic, it's very clear that what's happening is happening on the internet and that it has really... Really, it can have really severe real-world consequences. It can also have positive real-world consequences, like the spread of the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, thanks to social media. I think that's positive. Mm-hmm. But um, if people are losing their jobs for tweets, I don't think that's positive.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe this will, be, this will be the last question. Do you think if, like, uh, um, we could magically snap our fingers and uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, all social media uh, was gone in an instant, uh, would that be a better world than our current world or, or not? Oh.
0: I don't think so. I think the positives outweigh the negatives. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or maybe it's just, it's too hard for me to even imagine what that would be like.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like work, work professionalism is so connected now to social media um if you work in the white collar industry mm-hmm. um how would it be possible to work <laughs>
1: i don't know well i mean somehow it happened like in, before 1997 or something uh like like stuff got done and and people lived their lives i don't know i think <laughs> i think if i magically could snap my fingers and, and and do it even though i you know i've wasted you know scores of hours of my life on these various platforms and i've made uh good friends on twitter especially uh people who i never would have met otherwise like you know, if, if, if these either evaporated at this point or if we could time machine and baby Hitler kind of, kind of thing and, and, and stop them before they, they launch, then, uh, it, it does seem like I absent Twitter or Facebook, like, I don't think we have president Trump. So that would be a better world. Um, That's and then if, we, if they all just disappeared now, yeah, maybe we've, or maybe we're in too deep or something, but I do, I do think it would, I, I do think it would be a better world. Um, than uh than our current world which isn't very good so it wouldn't take much to make it make it a better world
0: i think i've just had so many uh, so many positive experiences online and so many parts of my career are thanks to things that happen online that it's like hard to imagine my life without it yeah um
1: yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, I've worked for a website. But it also for-
0: it does I, I described it in an interview recently as like an abusive relationship. Like I know I should stop and yet I keep going back, but I'm like this time will be different and then I keep going back, you know? I'm like I should really spend less time doing this and then I do it. It's I mean, it's addictive. It's it you yeah. know, it's scientifically addictive.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, that no, that's a that's a good metaphor and you could think like you know, you don't know how it really is, you know, when it's just me and Twitter. Like, you don't know, right. like, like, Twitter is so sweet. There's good
0: stuff, too. <laughs> Sometimes it's really nice.
1: Right. Um. Um, okay, so we've gone a little bit over an hour, so why don't we, I think we should end it there. Is there anything else you, you want to say before we wrap that's up?
0: that's perfect. I think that's perfect.
1: Okay, so, so the book, self-care, a novel, it's a satire. I recommend it. Um, it's, a good, it's a good read. Um, these time, Even if you don't
0: like novels, if you spend a lot of time online, this is the book for you.
1: Um, I would agree with that. And, uh, okay. So you are on, you are on social media, uh, yes. so you're on Twitter and it, it rhymes with B is yes. that? Your, uh, so rhymes, rhymes with B, B. E E
0: help people pronounce my name. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so check Lee out there. Uh, I'm, uh, RACW on Twitter and, um, yeah. So, th- so thank you. Uh, thanks for coming on and, uh, thanks, thanks to our viewers and listeners. and We'll see you again next time.